We're in the midst of a series called Breath, Doves, Clouds, and Fire. And so what, the reason why we're actually really looking at these different names and these images in the Bible is that they actually have a lot to do with what God is up to. And God is always up to something. And he uses things that are familiar to us all throughout history and maybe things that are familiar to you in your life to convey truth and to challenge us. And so this morning, I hope that as we unpack the Word and as we unpack the Scriptures, that you would open up your heart and not simply just be a hearer of what's happening and maybe underline some stuff, but that actually you would leave this place with a nudge to do. That we would be a church that's not simply marked as hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump in and get after it. God, uh, I just pray that you would begin to speak to us, even speak to me this morning. Uh, as as uh, you speak through me, I just offer up uh, what I have and trust uh, that you will do the transforming work. You're the one that, that can change lives. You're the ones... That, that can do miracles. So God, uh, I pray that you would just be glorified and that we would open ourselves up to you. Amen. All right, so uh, we are in, uh, today we're really, really, really going to be looking at the imagery of clouds, and particularly one story that actually might be familiar that has clouds or a cloud revolved around it. Clouds are found all throughout the Old Testament, which is kind of the beginning big gigantic chunk of your Bible before Jesus shows up on the scene. And this uh, story that we're going to look at might be familiar to you even if you are not familiar to church. If you've ever seen it, this is a story that is often made in the movies. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus on this story and the imagery of clouds, particularly within this story. But here's the thing. We're not just going to simply look at the story, but we're going to look at another underlying question that has to do with it, and it's this. How do you trust God? How do you build trust with God? How do you trust in God when it feels like all hope is lost? Maybe even right now, as I ask that question, I'm even thinking for myself, rephrasing that question. Where do you need to trust God right now? What is that in? What is something that only you should be putting your trust in with God? Could it be that you have to have a really hard conversation with maybe your spouse that you have been dreading for a long time? because it feels like you guys are at the end of your rope and your hearts are hard and the only thing you can do is trust God to soften your heart and your spouse's heart. Could it be, excuse me, could it be that God is actually calling you to trust Him more with your finances, to be more generous and you don't want to. And he's been nudging you for a long time. Say, trust me with this. Step out. 
Or could it be something like what, what my dad is going through right now with my younger brother? Trusting God for his son that things are going to be okay because his son has really lost his way. And he's not sure if he's going to find his way back. And he's unsure about what the future looks like. See, when we start talking about trust, things start cutting kind of deep. Because these are the moments in which we can feel disappointed and hopeless. So, that sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at uh, today's content in which we're going to unpack. It's going to be a little bit different than how I usually unpack a message. Usually I'm kind of looking at a bunch of different scriptures and this and that, and then they all tie together. Uh, but what we're actually going to do is look at one gigantic chunk of scripture. Here's why. Uh, if you open up your Bible, if you've never really read a Bible before, it doesn't read like a novel. It's mixed with a bunch of things. You have... Uh, Proverbs in there, which is a bunch of notes of wisdom. You have Psalms, which are Psalms. Psalms. And then uh, a lot in the New Testament, you have a lot of letters and things that were like written to people at a specific time period and correspondences. But in the Bible, you actually have a lot of what's called narratives. And narratives are what they sound like. They're stories. So the reason why we're going to read a gigantic chunk of Scripture is because we want to get the whole story, or at least a big, gigantic part of the story, okay? Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, you can be kind of vocal because it's just, it, it helps with the room and the energy. So, so we're going to read a gigantic chunk of Scripture. So if that's new to you, I will try to bring it to life as much as I can. My encouragement to you is to see yourself in the story. Another way that you can do, uh, another thing that you can do, excuse me, to participate is you can actually open up a Bible if you have a Bible or if you type in Bible on your app. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app is free, and it's a great way to follow along. But we're going to be looking at the end of the story of what's called the Exodus. Dun, 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 right? And what is the Exodus? The Exodus is the story of Moses in Egypt as God chooses to free his people from enslavement in the Egyptians. There was a movie that came out in 1956, 1955 with Charlton Heston. It's really corny and awesome. And it is the story of the Exodus, and it's, it's everything you would imagine it to be. And then, of course, there's my personal favorite, the Prince of Egypt. Hello. Oh my gosh, that soundtrack is so good. So then there's the Prince of Egypt, and then 2014, a really inaccurate version of the Exodus came out uh, of a movie called uh, uh, Gods and Kings or something like that with Christian Bale, Batman as Moses. So imagine that. Very inaccurate, right? So, uh, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at the, uh, a big chunk of the end when Moses parts the Red Sea and what happens. And uh, if you're anything like me, I actually like really read this in detail for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no clue that all of that was in there. The movies miss out on all of this. So it's true, everybody. The book is always better than the movie. Come on, let's go. <laughs> so let's jump into the book. That's right. So uh, best book in the world is called the Bible. So if you want to follow along, Exodus 13, Exodus 13, we're going to start in verse 17 and we're just going to read a big chunk of it. And to get you caught up in the story, because we're going to kind of kerplop 
towards the end of the story. So to get you caught up in the story, what has happened is, is, is uh, Moses uh, has gone and he said, hey, Pharaoh, it's not cool what you're doing. It's time for you to let God's people, the Israelites, the people that I'm in charge of, it's time to let us go. It's time for us to have our freedom. And then God sends all these plagues and this and that, and it's, it's crazy. And basically, uh, after a series of plagues, after God decides to take the firstborn child of every single household, Pharaoh decides to let God's people go. And that's where you get the story of Passover. And so here we are in the story. We're catching up, and the Israelites are being let go. So here we go. I'm going to read. I'm reading out of uh, the NASB version, uh, which is, it's not, it, it reads a little more tricky than your NIV if you're, or your ESV, but uh, here we go. So if you guys want to follow along, Exodus 13, 17, and if you're following along, I'll encourage you to underline some things along the way. All right, here we go. Party time. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Notice already in the story, they want to go back, or they're tempted to go back to Egypt in enslavement because they're afraid. Kind of weird. Hence, God led the people around the way of the wilderness. Whenever you see wilderness, it just really translates desert to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel, sons of Israel's the Israelites, went up uh, in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth, that's basically like and suburbs of Egypt. They set up from Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. So they have not entered into the desert yet. They're still in Egyptian territory. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud. If you're following along, underline that pillar of cloud by day and lead them and, and to lead them on the way. And the pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and night. He, being God, did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, there it is again, nor the pillar of fire by night uh, from before the people. So the cloud is going in front of the people, leading them the way. They don't know where to go, but God, through this cloud, literally a pillar of cloud, is leading them where they should go. So they have to trust God in his leading. Chapter 14. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before, I cannot pronounce this, Piharacharoth, I don't know, between Migdal, I can't pronounce that, and the sea, you shall camp in front of Baal opposite it, by the sea. So here God is saying, go forward, come back, go this way, go that way, come forward, come back. Confusing. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Basically, he sees them wandering around and saying, they're done for. They're stranded in a desert. What are they doing? They're not going to last very long. 
Thus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done? That we may have let Israel go from serving us. So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all, all, uh, over all of them. So he's, he's just deciding to say, full onslaught, I am going after those Israelites and I'm, I'm bringing them back or I'm killing them. I'm going after them. What did we do? Why did I decide to let them go? The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel. And the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Verse 9, Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside, there's that name I can't pronounce again, in front of Baal-Zaphon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They became frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Pause. Notice something. God's people would rather go back to a place that is familiar and enslaving then walk through the unknown to their freedom. They would rather go back to their life of slavery because they're filled with fear and they're unsure if God will prevail for them. There's something about this that sounds familiar. A little bit. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my moments of fear, in my moments of uncertainty, on hopelessness, I am tempted to reach back to the things that once enslaved me. This happens often. This is why people will often have a lapse in their sobriety if they struggle with that. This is why temptation will prevail in people's hearts. It's because we're unsure if God really cares and if we can trust Him in His caring. So it's much easier to reach back to what we know is certain and I was convicted of this this week. This is just me. This is just me. 
I felt so convicted this week that I idolize. Idolize. Idol, as in make a God of. I idolize certainty. I idolize information. And I love information. My phone's over there. I love that thing. I love that I can, I love that I can Google anything. I'm that type of person where I'm like watching a movie and like, oh, wait, what's that actor in? I saw him. In, oh, wait, you know? And it used to be like I have to like really mold through it. I'm like, oh, man, what's that thing? It's killing me. It doesn't kill me anymore. I can just look it up, you know? I love information. Why? Because I feel like when I have when I have as much information as possible, and this is just a great leadership 101 tip or anything, making a decision about anything. When you have as much information as possible, you can make the best decisions as possible, right? Of course, of course, of course. Here's what I was tripping up over this week, though. Which information am I reaching for? Am I reaching for information of circumstances? Or am I reaching for information about who God is? See, here's what was happening. Israel is reaching for certainty within their circumstances, not certainty in who God is and His nature. You see the difference? I oftentimes will idolize the certainty and elevate that and want to know everything about every situation and every scenario that can play out way before I will ever dip my toe in any sort of certainty about God. You know what I mean? And I just think we need to flip that, folks. I think we need to reach for this first. This is great. It's important. But let's not put the cart before the horse. That's just me. Let's continue on in the story. Okay, so let's see. Where are we picking up? Oh, verse 13. Uh, but Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom, uh, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I love this next verse. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward, aka stop talking, start moving. <laughs> Some of you might need to hear that today. You know me enough. Get up and start moving. Let's continue. Verse 16, as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on the dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, through the chariots and the horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 19. The angel of God, who had been going before them, or excuse me, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. This is not the stuff you see in the movies. Get ready. Moved and went behind him. And then here's the interesting part. And the pillar of cloud that was guiding them in front of them, right? 
We've been tracking that so far. It's been in front of them. Moved from before them and stood behind them. That's not in the movies, particularly not gods and kings. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus, the one did not come near the other at night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. That's definitely in the movies. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea and the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took pursuit, and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them in the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud brought back the, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. I want you to notice something. It's so important. This isn't in the movies either. Notice the cloud, the pillar of cloud, was a marker of where to go for the Israelites, right? They followed it. They could trust it. They were filled with fear at certain times, wanted to go back. But God established that cloud before them and said, hey, this is, follow me. You may not know everything about me, but know this. Follow this. Don't take your eyes off of it. Get up and move. But notice this, what happens when the cloud goes behind them? And what is it for the Egyptians? Found in verse 24, and the cloud brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. For God's people, the cloud is a marker of clarity. For the Egyptians... It's confusion. What's the point? For those that follow God, things that may look uncertain, hopeless, no way out, we actually get to look at those things and have clarity and direction. Why? Because it is an opportunity to trust God. When we see things that can potentially fill us with fear, God says, don't forget who I am. I'm out in front of you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you get to say, yes, I remember and I know who you are. And I'm going to step out and trust you. I'm going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to trust you with this relationship. I'm going to trust you and humble myself when it feels like I shouldn't. And what's going to happen for everybody else who does not follow Jesus and looks around you? Confusion. Why would you give 10% of your money? You don't owe them that. Confusion. This is why it is so important to have a relationship with God. Because all of those moments give purpose. If you don't follow God, number one, know that He loves you. 
and he wants a relationship with you. Know that. He's waiting for you. But if you don't follow him, all of those moments will be purposeless. Let's continue on and finish out the story. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. I love that they knew that. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots and the horsemen. So Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land throughout the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right and left side. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Here's the big idea for today's message to take away from this, and I'll unpack it just a little bit more. It's that God is too complex to comprehend fully, but clear enough to confidently follow. God is too complex for us to comprehend fully, but clear enough to confidently follow. I'm a very practical person. I try to think of like really, really, really practical analogies of like, like really, what is the most recent thing that I've experienced in this? And it happened, uh, it happened uh, like 10 days ago. I have a two-year-old boy, and uh, he's all boy. Like he's like, he would find the highest thing he could climb on here, jump off of it, you know? And like he loves Spider-Man and all this sort of stuff, but he's, he's all boy and, and he loves the water. He loves the ocean. He loves the pool. So we were at the pool and he's not even two yet. He turns two uh, next month. And we were at the pool and uh, I put him up on the ledge. He's like, you know, hanging out. I put him up on the ledge and he looks at me and I'm like, looking at him I'm like, dude, are you going to jump? Like, are you going to jump in my arms right now? You know, let's do this, my guy. Let's go, you know? And I'm so excited. And he jumps, and I'm like, I want him to not be afraid of, like, going underwater. So I let him jump and land him underwater. And, of course, I catch him and then bring him up. And he comes up, and, you know, the water's in his, you know, his little face. So, and then this big smile, right? <laughs> And then he wants to get up and do it again over and over and over and over and over, right? Right, right. So we spend the whole afternoon. He's jumping off the pool. I'm like, oh my gosh, watch this. It's like so great. And then here's, I just start thinking about this. So simple. I just started thinking. He can't even talk yet. He can't talk. He knows, he knows words, but he can't like string together sentences. He can't ask me how my day was doing. <laughs> how, how my day is going, you know, like. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand my story. He doesn't understand really what makes me me. He doesn't understand what it takes for me to pay the bills. He doesn't understand what I do for work. He doesn't understand the nuances of my life, why I make certain decisions. But he trusts me enough to catch him when he jumps off the ledge. Why? Why? I'm his dad, 
but he trusts me enough. Simply, it's I'm like I was like mulling this through, and this and I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, it's so simple. It's because he spent time with me since the day he was born. That's it. He does. He's he spent time with me. So he knows that simply in the spending time with me, he knows enough to where he can jump off the ledge of the pool and I will always catch him. He doesn't need to know what my budget breakdown looks like (laughs) to do that. That is God for us, you guys. So here is my encouragement for you. If you're wondering, let's get back to that question. How do I trust God? You have to start spending time with him. In the same way that my little boy, Judah Banks, has spent a little bit less than two years of his life. He knows enough to where I will always catch him when he jumps off that pool. The question is for you about trusting God. How much are you spending time with him? If you don't know where to start, I'll give you some really practical things to take away. What does it look like to spend time with God? Open up the Bible. You could spend time in the Psalms is a great place to start. If it seems overwhelming, I encourage you to read 1 John. If you've never read the Bible, it's in the New Testament. Just look it up on your app or whatever. Read 1 John. It's a great way to get to know who God is. You have to spend time with Him enough because otherwise this statement that's right here up on the screen is never going to make sense. By the way, I don't want to be able to comprehend God. That's why he's God and I'm not. And that's why you're not God. I don't want to comprehend him. So here, I just want to give you like a little bit of a simple life application. And you could write this down. I don't think I have it on the screen, but it's this. My encouragement is this. Cling to the certainty of God's nature. Cling to the certainty of God's nature slash character, nature and character. Cling to that certainty and hold open-handed all other things. Cling to the certainty of God's character and who he is and hold open-handed all other things because here's what happens. I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to flip this completely most times in my life. I attempt to cling to the certainty of my circumstances and attempt to hold God open-handed. What does that look like personally? Well, you know, God, I'm praying, I'm talking to you, and if this situation doesn't work out for me, if this job interview doesn't work out for me, and I don't get this job, and if I don't have it, and if I don't have it by this time, and if this doesn't happen, holding on to this circumstance, then you know what? God, you must not really be a good God that cares for me. See how we flip that, you guys? Oh, you know, God, I, I've, been, I've been generous. I've been this. I've been that. And da, 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 and, and then now it just feels like everybody is like turning their back on me. You know, uh, you must not care. We have to flip that, you guys. Because Israel found themselves in the same place. And what was God trying to do this entire time? He was simply just trying to remind them who he is, and what he has done. Because up to this point of the entire story, God had worked miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, as they're wandering around the desert and God is guiding them, 
fear continues to creep in over and over and over. And what do they keep saying? We want to turn back and go to our enslavement. And God is pleading with them through Moses, saying, don't forget me. Don't forget the certainty that you have in me, that I am for you, that I'm going to fight for you, and that I love you. Don't forget that. Cling to that. If you want to cling to something, cling to that. So many of us, you guys, were putting our trust in the wrong thing. And I love that we sang that song. I will put my trust in you alone. Put my trust in you alone, God. Hold your circumstances more open-handed. I don't want to be insensitive to any loss you may be going through. I'm not the type of person to just, you know, step into a situation and somebody has just lost a loved one and say, well, you know, God has a plan. No, because it actually says in the scriptures that God grieves too. But we can cling to him. Really practically, uh, just one more quick story. Yeah, how am I doing on time? Okay, one more quick, one more quick story, just to make this a little bit more real. Is um, last time I was here, I shared that uh, at the end of 2021, I was going through like a really difficult transitional season, not just with a job, but really um, what that kind of meant for our family, and and I wasn't sure what the future would look like, and all this, this, this and that. And I just started feeling that same feeling that the Israelites in this story were feeling, just that, that fear creeping in, not just something I was contemplating in my mind, but like in my heart, like, oh man, God, like, do you really care? Can I really trust you? Like, just deeply struggling with that. And it felt like in my times hanging out with God, you know, uh, on my drives and praying and stuff like that, just kept reminding me of this story in my life that happened nine years prior, where I found myself in the same exact place, wondering what the future was going to look like, wondering if God was going to provide. Long story short, uh, he came through in that season nine years ago. And I, as I was, I was going through the, this most recent one, it just felt like that God just kept reminding me of what he did in that time. And the things that had happened in my life because of that. And it's, it wasn't that he was reminding me of that because I had to remember the circumstances. It's that I needed to be reminded of who he was in that. That I could trust him. And so, it gave me a little bit of pep in my step to be able to trust God going into this next season. And he came through. And... Uh, and it's so funny because afterwards, looking back, I'm like, how foolish was I to just forget? And some of you may just need to look back and be reminded that God has not forgotten about you, that he cares for you. And, um, and so it started like just looking really practically of like, uh, as I started wrestling with the question of, okay, how do I build trust? How do I do it? You just do it by your actions. Just like when God said, stop talking, start moving. <laughs> Get up and move. So if God is calling you into a place of trust, going back to that question of how do I trust God, but really what do you need to trust God with right now? 
my encouragement is for you to take action.